this line that's currently making its way down the room. Um, and I want to talk to you a little bit about a line between being overwhelmed and being empowered. Because I kind of think that actually, potentially with what we see in the world, we might be quite consistently walking a line between everything we see and experience, everything that's going on on this planet, getting hugely overwhelmed by it, or being empowered to do something about it. Now, to be overwhelmed, that means it's kind of like you're drowning under something. Like you're being buried. Like there's a, a pressure, a power, a force much greater than you bearing down on you. And it's pretty immobilizing. But to be empowered is kind of like being released. As if you've been given authority and permission to go do something, to take action, and you feel empowered that you can. <laughs> You're doing a brilliant job. I'm so proud of you, Jill. Sometimes, when we face stuff in the world, I don't know about you, but sometimes I feel completely overwhelmed. Like there is a mountain of a problem in front of me, and its shadow is even intimidating. Can we make it all the way up on the stage? Here comes the line. Sometimes... You've got that mountain. And yet, we know a Jesus that says you can move mountains in Jesus' name. You are a legend. Give Jill a round of applause. Thanks, Jill. Here's our line. So we've got mountains that overwhelm us, and yet Jesus says you can move, move mountains with faith as small as a mustard seed. Because Jesus has given us all authority in heaven and on earth to do stuff in his name. So we find ourselves walking this line between being overwhelmed and yet empowered. Now, when I was a kid, um, I was obsessed with animals and taking care of them. And if you know me, you'll know that I'm still a little bit <laughs> obsessed with animals. I talk to them in funny voices, but I think they appreciate it. And when I was really small, um, I was the sort of girl that on a weekend, my idea of a good weekend would be the weekend that we wash the dog. Or the weekend that we play guinea pig Olympics on the lawn with the with the guinea pigs. Or, once I tried to take the rabbit for a walk on, the cat, um, we bought a cat lead, um, and the cat didn't like it, so I put it on the rabbit, and tried to take the rabbit for a walk. That did not go well. Please don't put your rabbit on a lead. They escape, they go next door, and they eat Mrs. React's lettuces, and we get in a lot of trouble. Don't do it. I was that kid, loved animal stuff. <laughs> there I am. <laughs> don't tell my brother and my sister that I've shown this photo. They will not be pleased. Um, I also remember, I don't know whether you remember this, but on telly there used to be loads of adverts um, about animal rights. And uh, I, I remember distinctly pictures of skinny dogs shut behind cages or um, a panda that had been stolen from the wild and was being um, beaten up in captivity. And basically you get a lot of animal rights charities saying, can you help and can you help this cause and showing all these really disturbing images. And they used to make me cry when I was little because... I remember this overwhelming feeling of animals can't talk, so they don't know how to tell anyone that they're not okay, and they don't know how to get out of their situation, 
and it used to make me cry because I didn't know what to do, but I didn't understand why people would do that because they couldn't even stick up for themselves, but I was eight, so I just felt completely overwhelmed. But the day that we found Barney the Blackbird with a squished eye outside my house on the road, but he was still alive, I picked him up, took him and locked him in the shed and like fed him guinea pig food, but had to make sure the cats didn't get him. And then the next day we were able to drive into this animal hospital called St. Tiggywinkles. It was about half an hour from where I lived. And then Barney got like nursed back to health and released into the wild. Or um, one time I was walking down the canal and I found this little baby moorhen called Leo and he was stuck in a blackberry bush, poor little dude, and his mum had lost him. So I, I obviously not allowed to like touch animals so the mums will re-accept them. So I took my jumper off and I gathered up Leo in my jumper. I probably did have a cheeky stroke because he's well cute. And I sat there for like two hours on the bank of the canal until his mum came back and I could kind of release him back to, to his parents. Um, and then there was a time that my best friend Lizzie, her dog Mikey, ate our ducks. We had a couple of pet ducks called Flip and Flop. And Flop got eaten. And I noticed that Flip was in his mouth. And I pegged it outside and ran into the garden, opened his mouth and pulled out Flip, who had had a chunk out her neck, um, which wasn't ideal for the duck. So I sat down and I tried to kind of nurse Flip through the night. And every time he fed her water, it came outside of her neck. <laughs> it was like, poor little Flip! But she made it through the night, and then we took her to hospital, and they were to like put her down nicely, and rather than bless her, she just kept going. And so we got this weird thing where I felt deeply empowered to do something when presented with an individual life in front of me. You've got the the child that cries at animal rights adverts because she doesn't know what to do, and then you've got the child that picks up a baby moorhen and sits for two hours until mum comes back. Overwhelmed or empowered? How about talk for two minutes on your tables? Can you tell any stories of your childhood, of moments when you've had to act in bravery or courage or do something to try and help a situation? Tell a story from your childhood. When have you ever kind of taken some action and felt empowered to just be brave and do something? Go for it. I'm really hoping some of you also saved some baby animals. Um, We're going to have to keep going on because time is against us. But please share your childhood stories later because they're always good for a laugh. I've had quite an interesting week, to be honest, and I can't really go into it. um, But I feel um, classic Jesus, just when you're really asking God to teach you as much as you can about compassion. You have a week full of crazy situations where you feel like you're learning a a lot in a very short space of time. But um, Tuesday I had one of these moments that afterwards I just thought, whoa... What's just gone on there? But I thought I'd share it with you. Um, I've got a friend from uni, and she we graduated just over a year ago, and I haven't seen her in about a year. And she came to York, and she said, Mary, can I grab a coffee with you after work on Tuesday? Um, and this friend of mine, she'd um, gone travelling after, after uni, and whilst she was abroad on the other side of the world, her mum got diagnosed with a really aggressive form of cancer. And so as my friend is flying home, on her stop-off in Shanghai, she picked up the phone and managed to speak to her mum and have a really brief conversation with her. Um, my friend was telling me how they, those words that her mum said to her on the phone were the last words that her mum spoke. And my friend touched down in Heathrow Airport about eight hours after her mum had died. So I'm sitting opposite this friend from uni as she talks me through the journey of what her last year has been like. And I can't really fathom what's gone on. It's one of those situations where everything in me wants to be able to say... This is how we fix this. This will be okay. Give her as much hope, as much 
explanation for this incredible injustice that just happens in the world that you can't explain, you can't seem to fight, and yet I've got a grieving mate there who's, she's my age, she's early 20s, she's one of the most humble and incredible caring people I've ever met. Um, she's one of those people that just embodies beautiful inside and out. She's that kind of girl. And she's sitting there telling me that she's lost her mum and she didn't get a chance to see her before she went. And um, that's a moment, really, where I feel completely overwhelmed. What do you do with that? And yet, on Tuesday, I didn't leave having a coffee with her, feeling like, actually, grief is insurmountable. This is just a huge mountain, and you are trying to face it all on your own. In fact, I probably had one of the most fearlessly honest, hope-filled, uplifting conversations I think I've ever had. You see, as she shared what she was going through, the... This in, her, her mum is her best friend, so as she's talking through what that is like, we were able to share stories of suffering, of grief, of situations, family situations, where what you've always known to be true, something that seems really safe, falls apart in front of you. When all the foundations that you've been standing upon move and change. And I was able to talk to her about Jesus and about a knowing, loving, personal God who understands suffering better than we do because he went through it, who understands death better than we, t- we do because he went through it and came out the other side of it. And I was able to actually share with my friend for the first time in our friendship that Jesus had died for her just as he has each of us, that he knows and he's with her and that actually for Jesus dying on the cross there is something so horrific and yet incredibly beautiful about that act that because Jesus went through hell he's able to bring us heaven. All from this conversation where I could have been sitting there feeling completely overwhelmed and lost for words. Death and grief and suffering are overwhelming. No question about it. I don't know what to do about cancer and and how that is just ravaging the globe. I don't know. But you sit me opposite a friend who's telling me that there's got to be more. And I get a chance to speak hope and life to somebody that did not know that Jesus died for her too and has something to say, seriously say, about suffering. And I'm empowered. It's that fine line between overwhelmed and empowered that made me realise what the difference is. What changes it? What makes you cross the line from feeling totally out of your, be- out of your depth and knowing that actually there is something to be done? There is more. And I realised... It's the one. It's, it's, it's looking into the eyes of a person knowing that God made them, that God knows them, he cares for them, and there is more for them. Jesus has not finished with their story with him and them walking this earth together. It is in the one that I realised I could get overwhelmed and yet I look into the eyes of my mate on Tuesday and I'm empowered to do something. We cross the line because we see the one. Let me tell you the definition of compassion. A feeling of deep sympathy and sorrow for another who is stricken by misfortune, accompanied by a strong desire to alleviate the suffering. So what I'm learning about compassion is that we really can't bottle this as a feeling or an emotion or just a way of seeing a situation. In fact, it's more than that. It's got some movement to it. 
It's got a sense of action. It, it's like compassion causes impact. You don't just sit in an emotion. Something is being done with it. First part of this definition, a feeling of deep sympathy and sorrow for another who is stricken by misfortune. Now that, de- that part of the definition, that is, could really be on the overwhelmed side of the line. Like an eight-year-old girl crying in front of the telly because she doesn't want, know what to do about the, the animals that she's seen being abused. Like sitting opposite your friend knowing that you can't bring their mum back. Like knowing that there's 1.4 billion people that are living and dying in extreme poverty today. Overwhelmed. But the definition goes on. Accompanied by a strong desire to alleviate the suffering. You see, the second half of this definition doesn't allow you to sit there in the emotion, but it comes hand in hand with a desire to do something. A desire for action, to see change in the situation, to alleviate the suffering. Empowered. Like rescuing a baby animal. Like getting to share the gospel with somebody where you know Jesus can make the difference. Like sponsoring a child. In the Bible, God is described as compassionate. In the Old Testament, um, there's this really recurring phrase that sums it up, which you've probably heard before. And basically, psalm after psalm, book after book in the Old Testament, it says, The Lord is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger and rich in love, abounding in love. The Lord is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger and rich in love. And then we see in the New Testament that Jesus lives out and embodies this description of God. Jesus shows how it is made doable on earth by man. God as man in the form of Jesus. With Jesus, even in the stories of him, I feel like I watch him walk this line. I feel like we see the experience of being either overwhelmed or empowered But then we see how Jesus makes the difference. So for instance, Matthew 14. The context to this is Jesus has just found out that his cousin and one of his closest friends, John the Baptist, has been beheaded. So Jesus is in a state of shock and grief, probably. And it says, Matthew 14, verse 13. When Jesus heard what had happened, he withdrew by boat privately to a solitary place. Hearing of this, the crowds followed him on foot from the towns. For me, that sounds like an overwhelmed moment. Jesus is trying to get away to figure out how to process the fact that his cousin's just been killed and crowds are still following him. They are still trying to get to him and asking him for something. The need is still coming, even on the day that Jesus probably just needs to be taken care of by God the Father. Verse 14. When Jesus landed and saw the large crowd, he had compassion on them and healed their sick. Jesus had compassion, a feeling of deep sympathy and sorrow for another who was stricken by misfortune, accompanied with a strong desire to alleviate that suffering. So Jesus, even in the middle of grief, sees the children that his father God has made. He sees God's kids. He sees that some of them are unwell and sick and in need of help. And so, in that moment, he crosses the line from being overwhelmed to empowered, reaches out his two hands and does what he can. He heals them. And just a chapter on, we've got Matthew 15. Again, Jesus is surrounded by people. And I think this is a really beautiful parent-like moment um, from Jesus. It reminds me reminds me of my mum, I'll tell you. So verse 32, it says, Jesus called his disciples to him and said, I have compassion for these people. They've already been with me three days and they've had nothing to eat. I don't want to send them away hungry or they may collapse on the way home. 
Which reminds me of a time that I was, at 10 o'clock at night, needed to drive four hours back to York from where I lived in Tring. And I was like, see you later, Mum, doing an all-nighter. Woo, off we go. Mum's like, wait, thermos, blanket, with the words, if you break down, you need to be warm until the AA get to you. Now, off you go. And I feel like Jesus has a bit of a parent moment here as well. He basically looks at thousands of people in front of him, and they haven't eaten in three days. Now, that, for me, would be an overwhelming moment. They're all looking to him, and they're hungry. But... Instead, Jesus fulfills a really basic, practical need in front of him. They haven't eaten, the kids need to eat, or they might not get home okay. Let's feed them. He's empowered to do something with what he has in front of him, which in this case was seven loaves of bread and two fish. And he feeds the thousands and thousands of people, the thousands of women and children as well. Now this story amazes me because... I'm kind of thinking, Jesus is God here, right? So Jesus can see thousands of people, but he knows they're not just hungry. He will know that there's people there that are unwell. He, will, he can see everyone's life story within them. Like, surely he can see that some people are really emotionally scarred, that they're really hurting, that they don't, they've lost all hope. He must have been able to see everything going on with everyone. If God walked into this room right, right now, he would know all of our stories. So I'm thinking... How did, how did Jesus not get completely overwhelmed? But then the human Jesus kicks in. And he just goes, they're hungry, let's feed them. Let's just do what we can do with what we have in front of us and make the difference. Empowered. He doesn't try and save the whole world in this story. He just does what he can with the individuals that he sees. And then Matthew 20, again, Jesus is surrounded by a crowd. And this, it sounds pretty overwhelming, this situation, because it's loud, it's jostling, people are shouting. Verse 29, as Jesus and his disciples were leaving Jericho, a large crowd followed him. Two blind men were sitting by the roadside, and when they heard that Jesus was going by, they shouted, Lord, son of David, have mercy on us. The crowd rebuked them and told them to be quiet, but they shouted all the louder, Lord, son of David, have mercy on us. Overwhelming moment. People are going, be quiet. People are shouting. Jesus is being jostled. I wonder whether we feel like that sometimes. Like when we watch TV and there is campaign after campaign, appeal after appeal, to sort out a natural disaster here, to save people from malaria here, because there's been a hurricane here, because there's a famine here, an epidemic here, and there's every single cause is true and worthy and desperate. But I feel like sometimes it's so overwhelming, the need just keeps on coming, that we end up standing there completely powerless to do anything, because there's just too much but then Jesus through the crowd hears the voices of two blind men Jesus stopped them and called what do you want me to do for you he asked Lord they answered we want our sight Jesus had compassion on them and touched their eyes immediately they received their sight and followed him Jesus didn't get overwhelmed by the crowd and the huge need. Instead, he saw two individuals. He saw a specific need that he could do something about in that moment. He heard the cry of two people that God made. He reached out and did what he could do with what was in front of him. Empowered. Jesus had compassion. A feeling of deep sympathy and sorrow for another who was stricken by misfortune, accompanied by a strong desire to alleviate the suffering. For some of us today, we might feel called to make a specific response to the overwhelming statistics and reality of extreme poverty. 
I know some of us today aren't going to make that response in the form of sponsoring a child. But the point of today, as Luke said, isn't for everyone in G2 today to sponsor a child. That's not the purpose, because actually compassion goes bigger. Compassion is a characteristic of God. It is an overflow effect of meeting Jesus, who shows compassion, following Jesus, and wanting that to affect our whole lives. So that actually God is changing and moulding our hearts, so we cannot help but be the kind of people that live out compassion. There's this incredible woman called Mother Teresa who you've probably heard of, and she devoted her life to the poorest of the poor in Calcutta in India. She described herself like this. By blood, I am Albanian. By citizenship, I am Indian. By faith, I am a Catholic nun. As to my calling, I belong to the world. As to my heart, I belong entirely to the heart of Jesus. And when it came to living a life of compassion in the midst of overwhelming need, this is what Mother Teresa said. If I look at the mass, I will never act. If I look at the one, I will. We return to our line. The fragile line between being overwhelmed or empowered. Once again, we can cross the line. We are empowered to act, to live out compassion because of the one. Because just as Jesus did, just as his followers are still trying to do today, we see the creation of God. We see a precious, individual, deliberate life in front of us. And that we know for each of us, we can all reach out and do something in the power of Jesus. When we see the amount of people suffering from depression, from anxiety, from stress, from mental health issues in this country, in this world... It is overwhelming. Where do we even begin with starting to tackle that problem that humanity is facing? But when your friend sits opposite you over a cup of tea one day and actually says they've been diagnosed with depression, you want to reach out, you put your arm around them, and maybe all you can do is simply pray that God would do something in their life. Imagine if every Jesus follower who came across somebody that said, actually I'm suffering with depression, just reached out and did what they could do, comforted them and prayed a simple prayer for them. I wonder how that would affect the world's statistics on mental health. What would that look like? See, I believe us lot in this room can do that. And I believe that Jesus has given you everything you need to act. When we hear how many families there are in the UK that don't have fathers, when we hear the divorce rate statistic, when we hear the number of kids that are living off the welfare system, We question, what on earth do we do? How do we break this vicious cycle that just seems to spiral down and down? What do we do about the family unit in the UK and the fact that it is falling apart? We feel overwhelmed. But when a single mum moves in two doors down from you and she's struggling with her shopping bags because she's got the two kids and she can't quite make it into the house, you don't even think twice about walking over and picking up a bag and helping her get inside. Because you see the one, so you're empowered to do something with what you've got in front of you. Imagine if every Jesus follower just decided that when they found somebody that was struggling and the family was breaking down, they just got stuck in there and offered free babysitting, offered to help do the weekly shop once a week, were just there to have a cup of coffee and talk it out when life seems too hard. Imagine how that would change and strengthen our society as a whole. Because I believe that us lot in this room can do that, and I believe that Jesus has given us everything we need to act. And when we look at the terrifying statistics 
of what's going on with Africa. Just take Africa, for example, not even the whole world. How many children, thousands upon thousands, are dying every day? There are too many, they are dying too young, and they're too far away for us to seem to be able to do anything about it. It seems untouchable, unreachable, overwhelmed. But when we hear stories like from a brother today, when we just get to see one guy that has been reached out, helped, and is now standing before us as a voice for those that can't yet speak up here. As we hear these stories, like, there's so many amazing, you need to check out the Compassion website and their brochures and stuff. There's so many amazing little individual stories of kids that were lost their parents, a girl called Jacqueline selling charcoal on the streets because she came home and um, her dad had died of AIDS and so she had to go and sell charcoal and then she was picked up by the local church, sponsored through Compassion and now she's a justice advocate back in Uganda for the underprivileged and those that are still in that situation. She pulled her whole family out of poverty because she was sponsored. You start to feel empowered. Imagine if every Jesus follower just saw one life in front of them that they can make a difference for and lived out compassion. What would that do to extreme poverty globally? What would that do? And I believe a slot in the room can do it. And I know that Jesus has given us everything we need to act. There's this saying in Africa that I was taught when I worked out there in my gap year in South Africa. And it's simple. It just says, how do you eat an elephant? One bite at a time. How do you eat an elephant? One bite at a time. And I found that really, really helpful because I was scrubbing floors and giving out clothing for refugees but the line was too long and we didn't have enough for all the kids and trying to feed children that wouldn't otherwise get fed. And maybe in a few months I was there, we maybe reached a few hundred people. But there were thousands upon thousands of people in Pretoria alone that needed help. They didn't have enough. How do you eat an elephant? one bite at a time, becomes so helpful because you look at the one task, the one prayer, the one person, the one jumper, the one health kit, whatever you can do with what you've got in front of you to reach out and make a difference. And in fact, that helps us now. There'll be a lot of things that will be the elephants in our lives that potentially we need to remind ourselves of that phrase for us too. Your degree, your work, your kids... It's the same sentiment as Mother Teresa when she said, if I look at the mass, I will never act. If I look at the one, I will. It's the same moment Jesus has of looking at the crowds and the masses, but reaching out and healing, of feeding, of moving through the masses so that two blind men can see. And I believe us lot in the room can do that. And I believe that Jesus has given us everything we need to act. Compassion is a feeling of deep sympathy and sorrow for another who is stricken by misfortune, accompanied by a strong desire to alleviate the suffering. I want to pray that the power of God works in us, moves in us, transforms us into the kind of people that cannot help but live out compassion every day, in all areas of our life, with all our mates, our community, our neighbours, on our courses, and our workplaces, all of it. And we're going to get a chance to respond now, as Luke was saying about walking past and praying and for some of you reaching out and picking up if, God, if you know if God's nudged you that that's where you're going to go next with that but I'd love us first of all I just want to finish by praying the words of Jesus over all of us as a family these words of Jesus were in John 15 and they're like the last words that Jesus said before he left the earth so I'd imagine he probably meant them and he probably picked them quite carefully they're incredibly powerful they're incredibly empowering 
when you realise what God is commanding us and challenging us to do, but knowing that Jesus gives us all authority and power to do it. So I'd love you to just stand with me. It'd be great if you could stand. And receive these words as a prayer over your life. You might want to close your eyes. You might want to focus in. Listen to the words of Jesus that he spoke to his followers on earth at the time and still speaks to us today. Father God, I pray these words of Jesus Christ over G2. May we receive them as power and as truth and as just an incredible joy for what you've done for us. Jesus Christ says this. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Now remain in my love. If you keep my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I've kept my Father's commands and remain in his love. I've told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. My command is this. Love each other as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, to lay down one's life for one's friends. You are my friends if you do what I command. I no longer call you servants because servants don't know their master's business. Instead, I have called you friends. For everything I've learned from my father, I've made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you so that you might go and bear fruit. Fruit that will last. And so whatever you ask in my name, the Father will give you. This is my command. Love each other. And Lord God, I pray that as G2, we would be faithful in loving each other. We would be faithful in laying down our lives to share the love of Jesus. And that Lord God, we may bear fruit. Not only in our personal spheres, but in York, but in the wider world, but also making our impact on extreme poverty. So that in Jesus' name, people are freed, people are saved, and people come to know that they are on on this earth for a reason, and that they are loved. I pray this in the mighty name of Jesus Christ. Amen.